Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of We Need to Talk. So last week was the first part of my conversation with Tyler Merritt, and it was not only informative and humbling, but it was therapeutic. We hit on so many topics, and the conversation only grew from there. We continued to talk about the church, religion, our faith, his books, race, and what a path forward looks like. So here is part two of my conversation with the incomparable Tyler Merritt. You are listening to We Need to Talk. So for me, I will still proudly say that I'm a Christian, despite what Christianity has become in the eyes of, you know, society as a whole. But I'm very much in the camp of this is you got to play the game to change the game. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to run. And again, no fault to people that have left the church. I 1000% get it. I do not blame you. People are terrible. (laughs) Like that's you protecting your peace. Right. But I'm a fighter and I refuse. And I said this before on on Twitter, on Instagram. I was like, I refuse to allow the term Christian to be co-opted to mean gun loving nationalist, homophobic, racist, you know, whatever, white Jesus. Yeah, white Jesus, that that's a whole other, yeah. yeah, white Jesus is also another podcast episode. That, <laughs> <laughs> that was like a whole other hour. But right. I, I refuse to allow that. I am proudly a Christian. I am proudly do my best to follow what Jesus stood for and what he intended for us to do as humans in loving each other. And it, it breaks my heart when I do see people walking away, but I get it. Get it, I get it, I get it, and I don't blame them whatsoever. But it's so hard to try to get those people in that second group to open their eyes and fully understand what their job is mm. as someone who says they are a Christian. And mm. I, I don't know when it started to make this shift, but it, it, it's, I don't know when it'll change if, if it'll ever change back. Honestly, I don't know if we ever will get to back to what being a Christian actually is supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. I think there's people that are out there that are living it, and I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Sadly, I just don't think that the the word Christian, I, I'll tell you what I love about you. I've seen you post about it before. You've said, like, I will not let someone steal this word from me, you know? Yeah. Um, But I see it in so many other things that just aren't defined with the word Christian or Christianity anymore. And so- yeah. You know, when I had the opportunity to be able to write a book, I wasn't going to shy away from it. And I said, you know, I told my publisher, I was like, you're going to have a lot of Jesus in this book, but you're also going to have a lot of like, like everything else. Yeah. You know, I'm going to cuss a lot. I'm going to be real. There's going to talk about sex. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about how I love gay people and how I don't know. I don't know how not to. Yeah. Like, I don't know how not to love gay people. I was raised around loving gay people. And then I came into the church and was told that that's not the case. And then I got wise again and was like, oh, that was dumb. You know, yeah. and I, and I, man, I made so many mistakes trying to like fiddle faddle my way through trying to figure out what this Christianity thing means. And it always leads back to just feeling like knowing, not just feeling, mm-hmm. just knowing um, the love that I first discovered, that first found me, that that's the mm-hmm. love that has stuck with me ever since yeah yeah. and uh i'll say it's been a while since i've been on a podcast and talked this openly just about um bakari sellers and i talked a little bit about god like this and um 
I, I love being able to share it in a way with people that kind of get get what I'm about. Totally. Um, totally. Also, too, I, I feel like this makes sense why you and I are, are so, we echo so well with each other on social media. Like all the stuff that we've just said over the past 20 minutes having to do with God and faith, I feel like is an, uh, like, I feel like I can read your posts and you can read mine and you're like, I, I know that. I, I know mm-hmm. what he's saying here. Yeah, I know what's absolutely. I know what he's implying here and what he's saying here and why he can say it. And yes. here's a hundred comments going, we don't understand you, Tyler. And why can you feel this way? And you're going, you don't, because we're living in this grace thing that, that we don't understand ourselves. Mm. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I said when I was reading your book, I was just co-signing everything, everything. <laughs> and I love that you go back and forth and that it's just so relatable. But when you were writing it, who was your intended audience? Did you have like a person, a demographic in mind as you were writing it? I'll tell you, yes, I I really did. And I think most people, because it's become so successful, definitely around amongst like white women, one, because white women read mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything pretty much. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, they have book clubs. <laughs> right. Exactly. They have book clubs. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you, I was in like an all black book club one day. One time they were all doing my book and it was probably the best. Like I was during the pandemic, I was doing these virtual book club things where we get on Zoom and watching these black folks feel this book, Mm. um, which plays into my answer. If, If I really were to think about it, who I wrote this book for. I've said this a a couple of times because I mean it like I really wrote this book for black people solely to scream with a huge microphone that there is no one way to be black. Mm. (laughs) So my dedication at the very beginning where I'm like, we are not monolithic. Yeah. That was my way of saying to my black friends, like, that was my way of saying in a very wide, broad way, broad range of being like, yo, people want to give us a concept like we're all the same. But if you read this and you're a black person, you're about to see how I'm into, I, I open it up with going, I'm listening to bring it on the musical, a musical about cheerleaders. But I also in middle school, like rap music was my life, you know, and I defend it, you know, and then I talk about it. And also like even the chapter titles, and I did this kind of accidentally, but I look back now, like one of the chapters is called, I got 99 problems, but most of them are women, which is a Jay-Z <laughs> is reference. Right. Yes. Yeah. But then I have like all these John Mayer kind of hints throughout the book too, or like mm-hmm. B-52s or we created the play. I don't know if you saw it, but yeah, the playlist, a, yep. a playlist. And when I tell you it is the most random eight hours of music that you will ever hear. It's um, so eclectic. I love it. I it's love it. So eclectic, but that falls right back in the answer of who I wrote it for. I really wrote it for the black young man or woman or who has always felt like I don't exactly know where to fit in. Not because black people, I mean, you know, sometimes black people can make black people feel certain ways, but you know, white people have decided that I'm supposed to be one thing. And I basically wrote a book, put it out in the world to let everybody read and go, no, I can't judge this individual by what he looks like because he's so much more. Yeah. 
And that's how I feel about any of my black brothers and sisters that continue to walk through this life. I just want to take him and grab by the shoulder and go, don't forget that you are so much more. Mm-hmm. Even when the world tries to tell you that you are one thing. Yeah. You are so much more. Yeah. Now with that in mind, I also knew that who was going to be buying my book. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. I was also very aware of who eventually was going to be the per- people that were going to purchase it. And because of that, I, um, you know, there's a part in the book where I'm like, I explain what a black card is. You know, yeah. I'm like, you don't know what a black card is. Let me explain. And I'm not yeah. explaining that for most black people. I'm explaining right. that because I'm aware of who the readers are, you know? And um, I love it. it. I think it lands well. Like it gives me a sense of mind at the end of the book of being like, I feel like I did us well. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I Absolutely. did us well Absolutely. while serving a greater good. Now, here's my question to you, though, because of, you know, who you you kind of (laughs) um, said was the demographic that you knew because, you know, white women mostly buy books and they read and have book clubs and all of that. For the ones that have really, really connected to your book and enjoyed it. And I see the comments. I see it. And obviously, because you're you're dating Jen Hatmaker, you were exposed to all the white women in the world. (laughs) All of them. Every single one. And anyone that I was not exposed to. Glenn and Doyle, my friend Glennon Doyle made sure that we yes. got all the rest of them. Right. Oh, I love it. But do you ever worry that because of that, that you might be looked at as the representative for the black community, even despite everything that you've said in your book about how we're not monolithic mm-hmm. and how, you know, sometimes that can fall on our shoulders. Do you ever worry that you have become that representative for those people? Um, uh, do I worry about it? Probably yeah, a little because bit. It's, yeah. it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. The simple, simply I do, but I'm going to say this and this is going to sound really like, um, it's going to sound a certain way. If I'm the person who's representing black people to a lot of white people, like I'm a, I'm a half decent choice. <laughs> No, that's fair. That's fair. You, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. Um, uh, but, and the reason why I say I'm a half decent choice is because I try to continually mention the fact that my point of view is not the point of view. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I continually am like, because we are not monolithic, to Two black people can have two very separate thoughts and those thoughts both be okay. Yeah. And you can glean from both of those thoughts and you can walk through that. And um, I, I don't think that I, I take complete, I don't think I completely know how much influence I have there to be really honest with you, you know, and mm-hmm. I would argue to say it's probably a lot more than I think, but um I try to be delicate with the responsibility I've been given. Yeah. Yeah. Like I am aware enough to know that my words matter. And because they do, I try to do everything I possibly can to parse them out in a way that makes sense. But with that in mind, I also do all that I can to try to communicate that I'm not the only voice in this room. Yeah. And I'm not always right. And it's okay for me to come along and go, you may not understand why I'm making this decision and some other black person 
feels a different way about it. You know, um, I didn't want to talk about this. So I don't know when this is going to air, but we're going to talk about it anyways. Okay. All right. We're going to talk about it anyways. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, the word, for those of you, I don't know when this is going to air, but if you're listening to it now, just recently, Queen Elizabeth II died. Like, just happened in the past five days. And um, there's an individual by the name of Lovey. Do you know Lovey? Do you follow Lovey? Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> Um, who posted some very specific thoughts on how she felt about Queen Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. As Um, did many people in our community. (laughs) As did many people in our community. Many. I also posted something about Queen Elizabeth. And in the post, I mentioned her missteps. My post was more about... um, recognizing that a global figure is past, which is, um, it's, it's, it's rare that one, that uh, uh, somebody passes and it affects the world. The world. It's rare. Right. Right. But so, so my post was really more about like somebody, a global figure has now died. And even in her missteps, she attempted to do dot, 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 dot. Now, now in this commentary, I didn't try to tell you what to do. Like, I, I wasn't trying to say, and with this, you need to go honor her or you need to feel a certain way about whatever. Like, it was just my own personal kind of acknowledgement of the moment that was taking place. And of course, I had tons of people that were like, you said it perfect. Like going back to talking about sometimes we communicate thoughts of people can't talk, yeah. you know, and I had a lot of black people that were like, yo. You know, um, Yvette Nicole Brown, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. she posted something kind of similar, you know, um, so, so did Viola Davis, mm-hmm. you know, all, you know, and I knew I purposely added the word missteps in there because I know my history. <laughs> right. Right. Um, what ended up being so interesting is I had a couple black people come at me a couple but I really, like most things in my life, had more white women come at me and go, Tyler, maybe you aren't aware of what she did. I'm like, these motherfuckers, what? <laughs> like, what? I, the hell? Like, how many people, like, I, I literally, like, I was with Jen this weekend and I showed her a screenshot. I was like, and I... <laughs> She's going to kill me for saying this, but like if, when white women come at me, I usually am like, Jen, one of your friends, <laughs> like, that's always how it goes. I'm like, Jen, one of your friends messaged me <laughs> and sent me a screenshot of what Lovey said is if I can't read and or I don't right. know how black people feel about Queen Lit, like, c- can you get your white people? Can you get your friends for me, please? And don't get me wrong. I have black people that came at me, but black people that come at me, I feel a different way about. I just kind of yeah. feel like I feel you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like, right, I know, like, you're right. right. And you can feel however you want. I ain't mad at you. Feel how you want. But the idea that you have to come to me and educate me on something and and then not understand why I would choose grace and love in this, I feel yeah. like if you are surprised right now that I'm choosing grace and love at this moment, you have not read my book and or know who I am. Right. So don't right. be surprised when I choose grace and love in the really, really hard spots because I've now modeled my life to do that. Yep. 
you know? So that going back to um, kind of the question, um, sure, I'm a voice in the midst of a lot of this, but I think I, I try to encourage people to go like, I'm just a voice out here, you know, and And anybody who assumes that all people of color feel the same way about things need to get more black friends. Like we just don't. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to have internal moments where in our community, black people are going, you should feel that way because we're black. The same way white people have those same things. This is just the world that we live in. Yeah. And we're all just trying to do the next right thing, whatever we For feel sure. that is. Sorry, I, also I know feel like, we were. No, you know. no, you're totally fine. But I also was going to say, I feel like for people like you and I, we're again going back to the, the whole point that all black people are different. I think that we, and this also can go back to our, our backgrounds and, and our faith, we're more equipped to actually handle that pressure mm. and taking on those conversations of white people DMing us, asking questions. We're willing to have those conversations. And again, it's not our job, but I'm actually sometimes okay with doing a little bit of legwork for some people because I have realized in my conversations, some people are just incapable of finding the answers on their own. Right. And if I want you to know the answer, I'm so type A and control freak. I'll be like, this is the answer. Like, go with it. Like, go, this is the answer. Now go sit with it. And then we can talk about it later. You know what I mean? Rather than yeah. being like, okay, well, maybe you should look this up. Like, I will give you the answer as long as you sit with it and let it marinate in your soul for a while. But a lot of black people aren't in the mental headspace to be able to do that. And that's completely fine. It's not for everybody. Just like I have friends in the LGBTQ community that are more than willing to answer questions and have those conversations. And I have other people that are like, go argue with your mama because I'm not in, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't want to talk about this, right? I ain't yeah. the one. So I, being the representative, I just ask if, if, you know, you ever worry about that or if there feels pressure because I definitely have come that become that for a lot of people in my life that I know and don't know because people on social media feel like they know you. But for some people, I'm completely fine with that because I think that like I'm, I have decent choice as well. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what, yeah. exactly what I was going to say. I was gonna, I was like, hey, if every white woman in the world feels like they need to that you are the representative, I'm like, I'll sign off on that. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> Melinda can yes, follow her, follow uh, her lead. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, so before we wrap up, I know that you also have a children's book that you have that's out now. So what made you want to go? the children's book route and tell us a little bit about it. Cause I'm so excited. I'm definitely going to get one for Sienna. So I, t my children's book comes out tomorrow and tonight I have an event at Parnassus book, which is a Parnassus book. So it was a pretty popular story here in Nashville. And um, the excitement that I have to get a bunch of people in the room to talk about this for me, like I'm so excited to be able to do this because I pulled a story out of my book um, of chapter two of I Take My Coffee Black, where I go to Wales, New York. Yeah. And I go and I meet a friend of mine there and we go fishing. And then we catch a bunch of fish and then we kind of walk through the neighborhood. And he's like, we got to go show our friends this, the, all the fish that we caught. And then before we know it, we're going to every door and they're like, you can't come in. You can't come in. And finally, one of the uh, adults, just straight up says like, 
you can come in, but your Negro, your nig, your little Negro friend can't. And I talk about in the book, in my adult book, mm-hmm. about how I have white friends that say, I can't believe that she wouldn't like you. She would hate you for no reason. And I'm like, no, that's a very specific reason as to why she hates me. It's because of my color. And that's something I can't change. It's not yeah. like I can go away and get nicer. It's not like I can go away and like catch different fish and bring them and she'll accept me. She hates me because of a very specific thing that I cannot change. And that, that is like the vitriol that's behind that feels like, like the worst thing you can do to a kid. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, I say this in my book, I say it's something like a Disney villain would say, like I say that in my adult book, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. that feels like something a Disney villain would say of like, you, you hit, you hit that, you hear that and it stings. So I decided to, when I was thinking about stories that I wanted to communicate to kids, I wanted to be able to keep the same kind of depth that I, that I keep in my books and my book but be able to communicate it in a way that felt natural and real. And so I just stuck to that same story, but I told, I tell it in a very like, you know, picture book kind of way, but there's moments in it. There's moments in it where um, it allows the reader to ask like, so if you're an adult and you're reading to your child, like they're not the age where they can completely read yet, or there are young readers who are just now really getting to, you know, picture book age there are scenarios in the book that, that allow them to ask what they would do in their scenarios and in their situation. Mm-hmm. And if you're a black child, you're reading this and one, it's just great. Cause you get to see characters that look like you in the book. Yeah. And you also yeah. get to see uh, my grandparent, grandparent figures in the book that, that give wisdom and give love and give acceptance. And it can be a little life. I, I wish I would have had this book. I wish I would have had this book after that experience because yeah. these little kid, kids are still having these same experience in different ways. But it also gives the ability that if you are not black, you're, you're asking yourself, who would, what would I do in these situations? Like if I was the woman at the door or I change up the story, I'm giving away a lot about the story, but it'll be out now so people see it. But I change up the story from my adult book into the kids book a little bit where in the adult book, myself and the character who I'm with, we leave and walk away together. But in the kids book, I, Jack, who is his name in the book, he ends up going inside and leaving me on the porch. Mm. And I added that because my, my little nephew, Declan, who's a little white kid, cutest kid ever. He read the, I had let him read an early version of the book where we walked away together. And Declan was like, if I was, if I was, if that woman had said that to you, Tyler, I would have like went off on her. I would have said, no, this is what you need to say. This is what, you know, you know, and he was telling me and like saying all these things. And I'm like, Declan, like you really like <laughs> felt this part in your heart. Yeah. And then it made me go, well, wait, what if Jack went inside? Then we're left with the question of what would you, do? you know, people are forced to ask, what would you have done? So We've, we've created all these little moments in this picture book to answer and deal with a ton of really specific kind of questions having to do with a young black kid realizing that his color is going to be a problem for some people, hmm. but it's filled with hope. It's filled with love. It's filled with acceptance, but it's also filled with a little bit of sorrow. Yeah. And I cannot wait for 
kids to be able to start reading it because it's beautiful. My boy Lonnie Oliver, who we sought out on the internet to go and find to do the illustrations, um, you know, did the darn thing, and it land it lands really sweet, Linda. Lands really really sweet. Wait. So I thank you for bringing it bringing it up. It's called a door made for me. My question, I guess, following up with the premise of the book, mm-hmm. because there are still so many people in this country that just, like you said, can't believe that that's an issue or that that would happen. And they would probably say that maybe writing a book like this is bringing forth an issue that isn't an issue. What would your response to that be? Because a lot of people think, well, if you keep talking about racism, then of course racism is going to be an issue. But if you don't talk about it, then bam, it's it's not there. It's not, it, it goes away. How do you respond to that kind of commentary? Because I haven't yeah. found the most effective response yet. I don't think this response is effective and meaning like, I don't think that this is the kind of conversation that I would try to have to expand into bigger and wider conversation. I'm, I'm fairly admitting this to you, Mm -hmm. but what I'm about to say to you is not the right thing to say if you're trying to open up dialogue, Mm -hmm. but the real answer to that question is get more black friends. (laughs) Plain and simple. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just that simple. Like get more black friends not a single person who is close to me that is white. And I have a crap ton of white friends as the same way I do with black people, everybody. None of my white friends that know me well would begin to tell you that racism is no longer a thing and it's only going to continue to perpetuate if we keep talking about it. Yeah. That to me sounds like somebody who just needs more black friends. Or that sounds like to me, a black person who may have been in an environment where, you know, I've, I went and visited this little town called Grand Marais this summer. Mm-hmm. Where is that? It's in Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota. Yeah. It's in Minnesota. Let me be very clear. I was there because my white girlfriend was there and I went to visit it. <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's be very clear. I didn't seek out Grand Marais on my own. I know you're like, where is you're like, I didn't go on a vacation. Yeah. I didn't go on I went because she was there doing this thing called me camp. Mm-hmm. we ended up doing this live one night and it was like a whole nother world. Like it was a whole, it was like, it's right on the Canada border. And I was jokingly like going, oh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this really quick. The story that happened that made me hold, talk about the whole thing. I was at the bar and I don't drink, but I was at the bar in this like little small little bar, live music was happening and it's all white people. I'm the only black person in there. And I'm on my phone sitting at the bar. Jen had ran to the bathroom and I'm looking on the phone and I'm like flipping through it while the band's playing on. And this older white lady comes up to me and she's like, Hey there. And I'm like, Oh crap. Here we yeah. Go. White lady situation. <laughs> Here we go. Like, I'm like, you haven't read my book. Cause you're about to get written about. Right, right. And she's like, Hey there. Hey. I'm like, hi. She's like, so uh, you don't like the music. And I'm like, what do you mean? I don't like the music. Yeah, the music's great. She's like, oh yeah. She reaches over and grabs my phone. She goes, well, just put your phone down, buddy. All right, and focus. And I'm like, she grandma'd me. Like, like, oh, like, wow. Which I had mad respect for. I was like, you walked up to a big black dude in the middle of a bar and took and his were, phone out his hand. It took my phone out my hand and was like, son, there's some music happening and you need to enjoy it. And I was like, what Twilight Zone ass world are we living in right now where like, I want to be a threat to you right now. 
like how am i not a threat (laughs) you know so this is what i'm getting at (laughs) like there are some people of color who have been in environments in their life where maybe they don't understand the conversations that the 95 other percent of us are saying but just because you know that five percent of black people that tell you that critical race theory is a joke does not mean that it's right yeah yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying yes (laughs) like so really what i would say to those individuals is get more black friends proximity get around people that do not look like you and you will stop talking about how we're just we're forging the story of racism no racism happens to me when i walk out my front door like i walk out the front door as a black person every day and i'm very very aware of it and that's just life and i would love to work myself out of a job but once i do believe me the whole world will know yeah yeah tyler i i mean we could talk probably all day (laughs) hands down but i i'm just so grateful that you took the time to chat with me. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate the work you're doing. You are so necessary. <laughs> you are, you are, you are so important, so vital. Um, I, I hope people get your book. I take my coffee black. It is absolutely fantastic. I'm I'm going to get the audiobook now because it just sounds like it's going to be a riot. I can't wait. Um, please let know, everybody know where they can follow you and keep up with everything that you're doing. It's really easy. The Tyler Merritt Project, put it in any search engine and you'll find it on Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. I don't do TikTok because I'm kind of an adult a little bit. Um, Not kind of an adult. (laughs) I I, I feel like my life would probably, my life would either be considerably better if I did TikTok or considerably worse. Like I can't figure out which. It's a mix of both. I I got in the TikTok game during the pandemic and first I was like, I don't know what this is. And now I'm kind of obsessed with it and it's really cool. Yeah. I just don't know if I have room for another obsession in my life. You probably don't. I don't. But before I go, I want to say this to you. Um, It is not lost on me that you are a Black woman who has chose to use her voice in a way that is going to bring haters, can bring controversy, and can also just be hard sometimes. I just want to encourage you to keep going. And we're in a weird place sometimes with what we do that we don't really know exactly what, how, how, what we do affects people. Like yeah. we, we don't know, you know what I mean? Be- and because of social media, we can put something out in the world and somebody can see it in Iceland and that can change their lives. Um, I just want you to hear and know that I don't know how wide what you do is goes, but I want you to know that it affects me. Mm. It encourages me. It keeps me going as a black man on the other side of the internet world, looking at what you do and what you say, you need to know I am watching you. I am learning from you. I am loving what you are doing. And it makes me so, so, so happy when I see the influence you have on the people in the world. That means so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of We Need to Talk. Make sure you subscribe and tune in next week. We need to talk.